Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. That's right. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron, you're up this week. Uh What have you brought to the table today? I am... uh, I'm bringing a webinar slash, I guess, panel discussion Yeah, uh, that's called Abolish Policing, Not Just the Police. Uh, so that's based on the book Prison by Any Other Name by Maya Schwenoir and Victoria Law, uh, where they unpack some popular prison reforms that pop up frequently in those conversations. Yep. Um, this particular discussion was moderated by the one and only Miriam Kaba. Uh, shout um, out. Yeah. And so... I think thinking about these reforms and listening to them talk about it, uh, for the most part, they're really just a ways to re-entrench the current criminal punishment system Absolutely. Uh, by expanding it into more areas and making it appear to be more humane. They talked about a wide range of reforms here uh, that include electronic monitoring and drug treatment courts, uh, sex worker rescue programs, privatized policing, probation, uh, mental health. Uh, so there was a lot here. And a lot of really visceral examples that they mm. used, um, that they brought in from their book, um, that I think we'll, we'll talk about here. I know I wanted to bring up a few of them too. Yeah, so same. in the conversation. So yeah, yeah. The this was, uh, I think, a really incredible event and 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 conversation that these these folks had. I'm I'm so glad you found this this webinar for us to talk about. I feel like I learned so much from it. You know, uh, particularly when I think about all of the the facts and like the stats that they presented around mm-hmm. each of these alternatives to police and policing. Um, so, you know, as they presented each of these alternatives, as you mentioned, like electronic monitoring or, or the child welfare system or drug cr- treatment courts, they had sort of um, PowerPoint slides, if you will, right? Of yeah. Sort of the numbers of folks affected and um, some stats around the percentages of certain populations that are, you know, um, wrapped up in these these alternatives. And so, <clears throat> sorry, I felt like I just learned so much from them and it really made me want to read their book, yeah, <laughs> uh, which I, I, I haven't read and hadn't heard of. Um, and, and certainly us also other work from them as well. But, um, and you know, you mentioned, uh, the great Miriam Kaba. It's always, I feel like an honor to get to learn from her and to, to yeah. hear from her. So, um, I think, yeah, learning about all of these alternatives was, and sort of what they talked about with each of them was just a big learning opportunity for me. Right. And I think mm-hmm. it would be the case for lots of folks. So I would encourage folks to check this out. One of the alternatives that they talked about, um, there were a few that stood out to me. I, we could talk about them all. Right. That, but the child welfare system was one. Right. And to sort of, I think to learn about and witness the depths of the impact of that system on families of, and particularly our families of color in this country. And, and to really think about the fact that this system and, and really all of these systems replicate the systems of slavery and indigenous, indigenous genocide mm-hmm. was just wild. Right. And they sort of, you know, talk about, you know, how these, how, the child welfare system and, and family family regulation um, in this country has sort of um, 
impacted certain communities of color, right, and are are akin to um, slavery and indigenous genocide, right? And and we've talked about that before, right? We've talked about sort of police and policing and, and all forms of the criminal punishment system sort of stemming from these atrocities. So, you know, this alternative and child protective services is sort of one arm of this welfare system um, is really no different, right? And so um, I, I sort of, that gave me some pause to think about because um, I had never really sort of framed the ch- uh, welfare services, right, in that way. But when they sort of parse out all those individual pieces and talked about it, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, right? Um, another one that, that stood out to me was electronic monitoring. And I think I think it's easy to see how folks could could view electronic monitoring, this idea of folks wearing like ankle bracelets, right, um, instead of going to prison. I think it's easy to see how folks could see that and view that as a softer. They talked a lot about, you know, quote unquote, softer forms of policing and imprisonment. Um, I could see that. Right. And I could see how people would also see that as um, potentially a a fine and an appropriate um, and a more, a more responsible alternative to policing. Right. But, you know, they talked about this. And when you really think about all of talk about the fact that folks on electronic modeling have to get permission in advance to go to places, right? To, yeah. They they talk about, you know, you have to sort of lay out your itinerary for the day and there are certain stores you can go to. And, you know, what if you go to this grocery store and they're out of toilet paper, right? And so, you know, for you or I, right, we would think, oh, I'm just going to go down the street to another store to get the toilet paper that I need. But if you haven't already cleared that in advance and you're on electronic monitoring, like you can't do that. Yeah. So I, it, it sort of lends me to think about how these folks, you know, really have no true agency over their bodies, right. And their actions. And I, I don't know. I, I think you have to realize that nothing about that is, is right or humane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those two sort of, sort of stuck out to me, stood out to me and, um, you know, gave me a lot to think about. What about, what about you? What, what all are the alternatives stood out to you? Yeah. The monitoring thing, um, you know, they, they gave some examples that people couldn't even go down the hallway in their apartment complex because it was too far too from their far. home. Um, or to the basement, right? If the laundry, yeah. if you're a laundry so they couldn't facility. do laundry, they might not be able to do like take their trash out. Yeah. Um, just as small examples of day-to-day things that if you live in an apartment building and it's not like, oh, I'm going to, Right, like my my trash is right outside my door because right. I have a trash can right outside in the driveway, and so I just take it there. Right. But if you live in an apartment that might be, you know, uh, a couple hundred yards away from your apartment, exactly. But you're still at home, like so. Yeah. It's very, um, it's very restrictive. Yes. Um, but sounds like it's not because you're not in prison, uh, right. but in right. a way in a, in a jail cell, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but it's a way to just take prison home, yes. really. So mm-hmm. um, another thing that stuck out to me is drug court because mm-hmm. um, it sounds very good um, on its face. Um, but w- I think what it does is it takes minor level offenses and then adds mandatory treatment yes. uh, to those offenses. And then if you violate those terms, you get thrown in jail. Yeah. So um, it really creates more opportunities for arrests. Uh, and you know, those arrests are typically low level, maybe you would have gotten a fine or voluntary treatment. 
uh, and instead you get a stringent treatment uh, plan to follow, and when you slip, you get tossed in jail, Yeah, uh, which doesn't actually address or help your treatment How about it? in the first place. Um, and then the other piece you mentioned earlier was probation, um, and that is um, the, the way that they phrased this um, stuck out to me, and so I thought I'd share it. Uh, probation is the largest alternative to incarceration, which is also one of the biggest drivers of incarceration because you get thrown back in jail when you violate the terms of your probation. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah those were the things as examples that they talked about. I wanted to to bring in here. Yeah, it's 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 thinking about this as a cycle. Right. Um, yeah. And so probation and the the example and the ways in which they talked about probation sort of make it clear that this is a, a vicious cycle. Um, you, you talked about um, drug treatment court, right? And I yep. just think about um, trying to think about and find and, and really abolish these systems, right? Because I, I'm more interested in systems and, and processes and a world in which we're taking care of one another, right? Mm -hmm. And so if folks find themselves in situations where they are um, taking drugs or addicted to drugs, right? Like, shouldn't we be trying to address that as a health problem, right? And find them solutions as opposed to this. I think this is the solution. This is the carceral solution. Yes. Like this, because treatment is the, the core of this, but it's mandatory treatment, um, which doesn't work. Right. Either when they highlight that in, in their discussion, um, you can't force somebody to get treatment. Absolutely. Um, they have to want to get treatment for that to be effective. And so, um, you know, I think that this is the quote unquote reform, but it's not, um, it's reform within a system that is designed to punish people. Uh, and so it's not going to actually address the core of the problem. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So thanks for the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the sarcasm there. That, that, right. It's not it's not it's not it. It's not what we need at all. And it's not the it's not the thing that is going to actually help us uh, mm -hmm. and help folks in that situation at all. So, yeah, there were there were so much to sort of take from this. And I think one of the most profound takeaways for me was this idea that I think they made very clear over and over again as they talked about all of these alternatives to to police and policing and um and that was this idea that these alternatives are just as harmful and just as dangerous as police and as policing in general and and the entire sort of operation and system that is the criminal punishment system right and so I I Think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Maya in, in some of her opening remarks. She talked about how even when people get out of prison, right, they're still engulfed in these systems of oppression and surveillance, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and so, and you highlighted the idea of probation being sort of one of them. Um, and, and she talked about how these systems are steeped in white supremacy, right? And these systems are steeped in uh, racial and social control, right? Like, I think the fact, the fact is that these alternatives, and again, we're talking about probation and electronic monitoring and surveillance programs and, and drug courts and the like, right? Like these alternatives were created as reforms when they all just serve as different ways of rebuilding the old systems. Um, and, and they refer to it again, a lot as these idea of like softer systems, like, yeah. um, or, 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 
saw having softer images. Yeah. Right. Quote mm-hmm. unquote. And so, but I think throughout their conversations, they do a really good job of highlighting this, like these real stories of real people uh, who have been impacted by these systems who have gone through these systems and these alternatives and they are anything but soft. Right. And they, mm-hmm. they do tremendous damage to people. Right. And mm-hmm. as I sort of said earlier, they perpetuate these cycles of harm um, that, that just mean people are chewed up and spit out. And I think you've said that before here, yeah. right. They're chewed up and spit out in these systems and, um, and are always a part of this, prison industrial complex right and i just don't think that's right and that's not the way it should be and i think i just really appreciated how they made it clear that these alternatives continue these cycles of harm um, and and keep the prison industrial complex alive and well right and i think Mm -hmm. it 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 lends itself to the argument and the rationale and the the strong need for us to consider um a new way right Mm mm-hmm Yeah, one of the examples that stuck out to me that they shared uh, was the story of this uh, woman who went on electronic monitoring. Mm. Uh, And so she had kind of an open door policy is how they described it with a friend of hers where they would just come and go in each other's houses because they're really good friends. Yeah. Um, And she found out she had left some medication in her friend's house. Her friend wasn't there um, and the door was locked. So she climbed it through a window Mm. to go get her medication because it's like to her breaking into her own home. Right. Right. Um, Like, Oh, uh, this window's unlocked. I'm going to crawl in through the window because I don't have my key or whatever. Yeah. So somebody called the cops. She gets um, taken to jail um, or she gets, you know, uh, charged. Um, and she has a choice between pleading guilty and going on electronic monitoring for a period of time or a trial and then potentially being jailed. Um, and she had kids at home, um, sort of family responsibilities. So she chose electronic monitoring, um, because that would allow her to stay home with her kids. Yep. Um, so fine, but. (laughs) <laughs> what they didn't factor in or maybe what they didn't make clear is that she had to pay for that monitoring. She had to pay fines and fees every week, and it was $115 per week. Yeah. Um, which Per week. Per week, which she couldn't work, really, because she was on monitoring. Yeah. So she wasn't really allowed to leave the house. You can leave the house for work, but people don't necessarily want to hire you because you have a giant monitor on your ankle right um so that per, per uh produces a uh a barrier to employment yep um and so just one person's working in the house um and they also have uh five kids i think they said something like that yeah. um that sounds right and so she her term the terms of her uh monitoring end uh, and she's served all of the time, but she still owes. Yeah. So she can't get off monitoring because she still owes money. Uh, and then she can't, you, because you cannot get off monitoring, you still have to pay for monitoring. So yeah. your fees and fines add up. Uh, and so it took her um, years longer than her original sentence to pay all that off. Yeah. Um, which is just wild to think about. Yeah. Ridiculous. You know, $115 a week 
there's 52 weeks in a year, mm-hmm. you're paying more than $5,000 a year to be monitored by the state yes. because you went into your friend's house to get your medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that is wild. And then she was on it for much longer than she should have been. Um, so all, all of these things compound and it just create this really ridiculous process that isn't necessarily softer than, a, you know, a prison sentence Absolutely. or going to jail for 30 days or whatever that that would have been for her. Um, but makes it look softer, makes it look like, you know, a more a humane version of it. Um, the other thing that that I thought about with this is who called the cops on her? Mm, yeah. Right. Why did that happen? And why have we turned against each other yes. in these neighborhoods to call the cops on each other when, um, oh, so-and-so's friend is is going into her house. She must have left something. I see her all the time. Right. right. Like, you know, um, it's one thing to be suspicious of some something happening, but then to just not check it out. Uh, there's, there's all of these mm-hmm. other pieces of sort of the internal um, emotional kind of unpacking of uh, of our carceral system or carceral thinking um, through abolitionist lens that that also is at play here too of like who is the individual who did make the call and absolutely that led to her paying thousands of dollars for being on monitoring for years yeah there I mean there's so much to unpack about what you just <clears throat> talked about right like and I think Miriam yeah. Kaba just sort of asks these questions of us at the end or at some point in this in this event about um, you know we need to know who our neighbors are right yeah and that's part of sort of having uh, an abolitionist mindset, right? If you know who your neighbors are, you're more invested in your community and you're more invested in when a situation like this arises, you know, like, oh, that's such and such and they're going Mm -hmm. into the house that they always go into, right? And something must be wrong, right? And I don't need to call the police in this situation, right? Because that's going to do more harm than good, right? And so, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a prime example. And then, I mean, yeah, not to mention the idea of that cycle of, of, um, of harm that's being done there, right? Like you think like, oh my gosh, like I've I've served my time, right? And I'm mm-hmm. going to get this ankle bracelet off and be done with this electronic monitoring. But no, in fact, I'm now more in debt right. uh, as a result of it and I'm still in it, right? Like that to me is just so cruel and so awful um, to think about. Um, so, yeah. When they talked about it as a, a also a reform that uh, conservatives... Um, are in favor of because it reduces the costs to the state yes. of incarceration because right she paid for you're, her you're monastery. paying for it yeah yeah so <laughs> the state's not paying what? for it you're basically reimbursing the state yes. for your own um, punishment so that's that's another reason why it is um, popular yes it's in terms of a reform it's yeah. absolute insanity um, you know, I just mentioned Miriam Kaba, and I, so I want to talk a little bit about her because, like, there's so much of this conversation that stood out to me and clearly to both of us. But um, at towards the end or at some point, I think at the start of the Q&A section of the event, um, Miriam asked a question of all of us. And then towards the end of the event, she sort of uh, made this statement, and these two things really stood out to me. So the question that she posed was for all of us to consider what do we do and what does our current system offer when giant problems occur, right? And that question and sort of her thinking and thoughts around this, I think are super important, right? Like it has been so ingrained in our society that 
police and policing and these punishing systems are the solution to these giant problems and actually address these giant problems. Mm -hmm. And we know that they don't, right? Yep. Like, um, I think that's, I think we have all the receipts we need <laughs> mm -hmm. when it comes to answering Miriam Kaba's question. Doesn't mean folks like her sh shouldn't keep doing the work that they're doing. And, and folks like, um, um, Vicky and Maya shouldn't be writing the amazing books that they're writing because clearly we need to continue to sort of make the case and make the argument for it. Right. But this, that idea and these systems are so ingrained in our culture and, and, and sort of who we are and it feels like the thing we should do, but we've got to move to a place I think where that's not our initial reaction or our initial step. Um, so that's sort of one thing that I really appreciated her um, talking about and asking of us at, at the end of the event, she also talked about, and I think it was sort of a, a call to action, if you will. She urged us to fight for things like food and housing and healthcare mm -hmm. for all um, instead of continuing these dangerous systems and, and, and alternatives to policing. And in fact, she used the terminology when she was, talking about these dangerous systems she called them quote death making institutions yeah and like i i think i, I had to pause the youtube clip like <laughs> that's exactly what they are right mm -hmm. i think there's no denying it at this point and especially when we think about police and policing and when we think about what happens in prisons right and and uh, to, to lots of folks um it, it certainly made me think about so many of our conversations here it made me think about Miriam Kaba's work that we've read and other media that we've talked about here at the table. But I think it, it also made it clear or continues to make it clear to me that, you know, public safety has to look different than what it does now and how it does now, you know? Yeah. I think we have to, you know, and this is what she talks about. We have to have systems that are life giving and life supporting yes. to actually be free. Um, we have we currently have systems that are invested in control and disposability in a lot of ways and i think that when you look back at these examples they're really sort of steps um they're they're reform steps toward still disposability right um and they're reform steps toward control um and i think that that's um it's tied into so many aspects of our society right now. You know, we we talked about knowing our neighbors and um, calling, uh, using the the uh, example of going into your friend's house, getting called. Uh, we call the cops on our neighbors rather than yeah. having a conversation with them, right? Uh, it's connected to that example. We have cops in schools, which yeah. they talked about, and we didn't get a chance to talk about um, much yet. But uh, that leads to arrests and records for kids yeah. uh, who get into trouble with the police with the law yeah. um instead of whatever that issue was being addressed by school administrators like it uh, has been in the past yeah uh, we criminalize mental health and poverty we lock people up for so-called treatment uh, by mm. involuntary commitment we take children away from parents due to neglect which is directly tied to poverty um generally though that neglect is the number one um complaint to a child protective services type department across the country um, and neglect is usually tied to poverty where people are outside the home having to work yes um so we're taking the children away rather than providing them with assistance that would better serve the family mm. um whether that's food or yeah, 
uh, income or, or what what have you. Um, so I, there's a lot to do within our systems and the, the ways that our systems are throwing people away or trying to control them um, or doing both simultaneously. Um, and we also have work to do within ourselves that I think I'll save for uh, application maybe here. In a I like that. Yeah. I like that. And I, I, I've just been sitting here sort of reflecting on all that we've talked about today, but even this idea of how important it is to know our neighbors and to know and to be invested in this, right? And I and I think about and I, you know, want to sort of say that that's work I can do, right? And and I yeah. need to do, right? Um, so that I have a, a way to, you know, know uh, and can address things when things happen, right? Like I live in an apartment, right? And so if there's a situation where like, you know, there's a loud party or there's a loud circumstance, right? Um, right. I can, I can feel a bit more comfortable about knocking on the door as opposed to doing something else, which I mean, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do. Um, but it would be nice to sort of have that. I also have thought about, and I thought about it this weekend in particular, but I've even thought about it here and I've talked to you about this too, right? Like, like, I'm, I'm here at your house often, right? And I have mm-hmm. often let myself into your house, right? Because I have the ability to do that, right? Or I, I thought about this weekend in particular, Saturday night, I hung out with a friend in the neighborhood and they were like, the door is open, right? And so I just walked in and it was a neighborhood I haven't been. My friend has a new house. I haven't mm-hmm. been, right? And so there are those moments. And as a black man, I have to think about those things, right? And yeah. I have, and I'm, I'm here at your house a lot, <laughs> yeah. but I, I think about it almost every time I'm here, like, I know the neighbor that lives right next door to you, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily know these other people. And so, you know, it's one of those, th- like this is, that example is a real example that real people, yep. that that happens in real life, right? And sort of yep. as you were thinking about it, it just, it made me think about this weekend and it just made me think about all the times I'm here and I've just let myself into your house, um, yep. right? So like, that's a real situation that, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just a, a real life example. Um, and so this has real life impact on, on, on folks. So we, yeah. we need to, we need to address this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a pretty good uh, segue to start talking about how we connect this to our daily lives and, in application work. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of the things that they mentioned sort of toward the end of the conversation is how deeply embedded carceral thinking is in our society. And, mm. you know, we're constantly thinking about how to reframe prisons or uh, reform prisons because there's so much about prisons that seem unpalatable to us, mm-hmm. uh, but they were so invested in. Um, and because we're so invested in them, these conversations typically lead us to think about making these softer kinds of reforms that they right. talked about throughout the, the webinar and, and wrote a book about. Um, and it makes me think about how much punishment um, runs through our system or through our society through like culturally um, and how invested in punishment we are, how mm-hmm. much punishment drives so much of how we respond to harm, both um, of each other, but also of ourselves. We, we sort of punish people for, um, perceived harm that they're doing to themselves. Um, so we have to think about not just the systems, right. But the ways that we respond Mm -hmm. personally to things and what are the things in us, um, that we have to do to, to shift our thinking and, 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 uh, change the way that we approach harm or the ways that we think about, um, 
throwing people away, right? The disposability piece, the control yes. piece. How are we punishing, controlling, and disposing of people in our lives? And how do we um, let all those things go and move towards um, something else that's more um, life-giving? Yeah. I I kid you not, that disposability piece, every time you say it, every time we read it in something, when we're talking about abolition, like it gives me chills to think about the fact that like, that's such a big part of this. That is exactly, that's a hallmark yeah. of this system, mm-hmm. right? Of the prison industrial complex and of and of our society, right? Like that certain people are disposable, right? Yep. We have accepted that, right? Uh-huh. And I think as I've sort of consumed all this media and thought about this and, you know, it's shifted my worldview. Like I can't, I can't be down with that anymore. Right? Yeah. I can't, I can't embrace any system that sees any human being as disposable. And mm-hmm. so I think that application, my friend, is spot on. I, mm-hmm. um, so I love that. I, I think there's so much that Maya and Vicky and Miriam, that they talk about, I think that has direct impact on the work that needs to happen to get us to a more just society, right? So again, I encourage folks to, to check this webinar out and, and to read their book. I, I, I talked a little bit about this earlier. I think the application at its core is the pressing need to address these broader issues, right? Mm-hmm. And the broader issue of policing and police in this country. And and again, the three of them shared real impacts of these alternatives to policing. And the impact of these alternatives, I think, is the application, right? And yeah. so, again, that disposability piece, the fact that these alternatives, these reforms are just bringing policing and the criminal punishment system and the prison industrial complex into our homes, into our communities, into our schools, Um and as you just sort of alluded to, right, into our daily lives, right? Like so much of this is ingrained in who we are. So much of this is ingrained mm-hmm. in how we respond to our families and our loved ones and when we are harmed and when we perceive harm, right? And so it's it's in us, right? And so I, I think we have to really think about that and take that as sort of, I think that's the application of, of all of this. And um it's so dangerous, right? And it's preventing us from, I think, true collective liberation. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's so much that you have to do uh, or we have to do sort of collectively, right? It's hearts and minds and policy and structures and all of that, right? It's all part yes. of that. So, um, all right, let's talk about how we continue learning about this with some homework. All right. Uh, I think one of the obvious ones is to read their book that yes. we talk about in the webinar. Uh, but another thing I think is to follow Project Nia, mm-hmm. uh, which Miriam Kaba uh, works with, uh, and find the resources that they've shared. Um, she shouts one out um, during the webinar. Um, but, um, yeah, so Project Nia is a, a great organization to follow and look into. Um, I think another one is asking ourselves the hard questions that Mariam Kaba asked at the end of this conversation. Yes. How are we participating in these carceral systems? Mm-hmm. Um, how are we expanding the prison industrial complex? How are we expanding the criminal punishment system? Um, you know, how are we uh, participating in disposability, in, in punishment, and in um, control in our own day-to-day lives, whatever that might look like? Absolutely. I love that. I love any, anytime Miriam gives us some homework, we've got to 
We've got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree. I'm going to co-sign the reading of their book. Again, the book is called Prison by Any Other Name, The Harmful Consequences of Popular Reforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're definitely going to add that to our, our reading list. I, I enjoyed this conversation. And so I, I'd love to just learn more from them and um, more about these particular alternatives to to police and policing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll shout out is um, I just found this. Um, a, a little while ago, is Victoria Law also wrote a book called Prisons Make Us Safer and 20 Other Myths About Mass Incarceration. Um, so I thought I'd mention that here yes, too please. as another another factor for homework. Um, so that is a um, part of a series called Myths Made in America. Okay. Um, so uh, it also looks good as another piece of homework. Sorry, oh, I meant, I meant no. to mention that a moment ago. No, <laughs> that's great. I'm just, I'm just going to ask you to just go ahead and add it to the shopping list, as you said over there, please. Yep. Uh, great. Um, I One of the other things that they do, so you talked about some of the resources that Miriam brought up. They, both, all three of them also named some organizations yep. that are involved in uh, abolitionist work and, um, and sort of just work in general to bring us to a more just society. So um, some of the ones I wrote down are Movement for Family Power, DHS Give Us Back Our Children, Welfare Warriors, Black on Both Sides, the National Coalition for Child Protection Reform, and Families Organizing for Child Welfare Justice. And that's just a few. So um, I I wrote those down because I want to do some Googling. I want to learn more about what they're doing. I want to see sort of what help they need, whether that's financial or or otherwise, and um, just try to, you know, promote the great work that they're doing. Yeah, this was another um, moment where, as I was watching the webinar, it was like we've talked about articles that we've read in the past where it's like, there were a whole lot of links that I didn't get a chance to yep. follow through on. This was uh, like that, but they were speaking them to us. Yes. <laughs> um, so there was a lot to follow and look into and, and learn more about in terms of what they're referencing and, and where they were bringing resources in from and, and all that stuff. So. Uh, yeah, good, good stuff for homework. Um, there's always more to learn. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of continuing to learn, Damien, you're up next week. Uh, what are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I am. All right. So next week, I feel like you've done this a lot. So it's my turn. I'm going to bring a current event to the table for us to discuss. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I sort of want to call this, it's, it's like a momentous occasion or, or a moment for our society here in the United States. Um, I'm talking about the recent passing and signing of the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, Mm -hmm. which officially makes lynching a federal hate crime in this country. Here in uh, the year 2022, Mm -hmm. lynching is finally a federal hate crime in this country. Uh, I don't know if you're sensing anything that I'm saying here. Uh, 2022. Uh, So I, I found two articles for us to read. I'm sure there are probably more out there, and so maybe between the two of us, we'll find some other things and we'll pull from other pieces out there about this. Um, but the two that, um, we're at least going to definitely talk about one is called, uh, Senate passes anti-lynching bill and sends federal hate crime legislation to Biden. And it's by Peter Granitz and it was on NPR. Uh, and the second piece is called Michelle Obama. Other black leaders praise historic anti-lynching law. Some say more change is needed. And that was written by Mark Ramirez uh, in USA Today. And so from, I think from the titles alone and obviously from some of my joking here, uh, Mm -hmm. my tone, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot that we can talk about as it relates to this historic legislation. Um, But, you know, 
it took over a hundred years and in a sort of a quick read of one of the pieces, there have been like something like 200 failed attempts (laughs) to actually get us to this place where this bill is now the law of the land over 200. And so I think there's going to be a lot for us to unpack as we talked about, uh, as we talk about the law itself and the history that led to it and, and certainly what it might mean for, for our society. So I'm, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, should be um, interesting conversation. Uh, it is, you know, amazing to think it took over a hundred years and two hundred <laughs> failed attempts, um, but it seems on brand for the U.S. How uh, so, about it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do, but in case you forgot, uh, please follow, leave a rating and review wherever you listen, share our podcast with the people in your life. Uh, follow us on social media. Check us out on YouTube. You can listen uh, to us talk in the in the background or whatever else you're doing. Uh, and sign up for our email list to get notified about any cool new things we got going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.